Hello everybody and welcome to Brumvagoon. Please help yourself get your daily dose of inspiration for traveling the world, even better, on unpaved roads. Because you always know that you will not get there on the road bike. And thanks to Komoot, you know Komoot, right? Komoot is the perfect companion for my podcast, for the Broom Wagon, but also for you all that want to travel the world and plan everything that you want to ride. If it will be on the other side of the continent or on your back door. To sparkle a bit more the partnership, I would love to give you a couple of tips every week on how to use Komoot at its best. So let's say you are planning your bicycle ride. Let's talk about bicycle rides this time. And you want to know better on how you want, which one is the road that you're going to follow, if the road is going to be paved or unpaved, if it's going to be a mountain trail or something else. Well, this is pretty easy. So in the planning situation, please decide which one is going to be your activity. Just for you to remember, you can plan really any kind of activity with Komoot. Hiking, running, cycling, road cycling, mountain biking, gravel cycling. So first of all, decide which kind of ride, talking about rides again, you want to do. Then if you want to understand a bit better which kind of road or trail you are following, this is a tip that I'm going to give you. While you're planning, just push the letter M on your keyword, M like mainland. You just push on it and then the blue track is going to disappear for one second. So you can have a bit better look on how big is the road, which kind of road it is and everything like this. And if you want to know even better how things are doing, you can also change the layers, the layout of the map. How to do it? I'm going to tell you next week. For now, be sure that if you don't have yet a Komoot account, you can unlock the region for free for you just by using the code that you are super lucky being listeners of the Broom Wagon that you can use. It's super easy. So just go on komoot.com slash G like Greenland and then put there the code BROOM. And here you go. Here you will find the region for free and you can unlock a couple of good things. First of all, as I was saying, is the region. The second thing is that you can save your routes and your maps also offline. Always better to have an offline backup on your phone. And you can also use the turn-by-turn voice navigation. That's super, super interesting, especially if you, like me, get lost every second mile of your route. Sorry if I say mile, I know that we are in Europe, but I like actually to talk about miles. It has a bit more of this flavor of dirty roads of Alabama. Thanks a lot again, Komoot, for supporting also this episode. And let's push into this direction. And I'm talking about the next episode. So that's an amazing story. Uh, I got to know an amazing lock manufacturer thanks to a friend of mine, Juvudruf. The lock manufacturer name is Tiger and they do really light locks 
for the bike made in titanium. Then I got a really bad adventure this summer when Marcia's, my girlfriend, Marcia's bicycle almost got stolen but was saved by one of those lock, uh, locks. Sorry, And I contacted them again just to say thank you on how cool is their lock. After that, we got a couple of chats here and there, and then they suggested me Belen and Tristan as perfect topic for one of my interviews. Belen and Tristan are an amazing couple. They are really traveling the world with their own bike, living a lot of adventures, and then documenting everything with videos, photos, blog posts, and books. We sat down together a couple of weeks ago and we talked about their traveling, their tips, the amazing nation that they pass through with their bikes and also everything related to their bicycle books publishing. Sit down, it's gonna be half, one and a half hour of solid chitty chatting about super interesting things, but be sure that you are sitting on the chair because I know that the minute after you are gonna start listening to their inspiration, you want to plan something or just maybe you're gonna go out camping outdoor. So push the volume up and listen to any single word of this awesome interview. I will talk to you at the end. So everybody, thanks a lot for being here also today, but also thanks a lot for being here for this Awesome interview that I already planned to be really, really long, knowing the people that I've been talking with, uh, because I think that we have a lot of things to talk about. I'm super happy to have here with me today, Belém and Tristan, and we're going to talk a lot about exploring, bikepacking, and all these kind of things. First of all, how are you doing, guys? Hello. Hello there. We're doing good. Yes, all things considered, it's a great time to still be cycling. Uh, lots going on, lots of projects in the works. Very excited to talk to you today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being here. And uh, yeah, actually, actually, I think that I want to ask you straight again, guys. And then uh, we're going to talk about who you are and everything. Let's take a couple tiny seconds for us. Are you riding in this period? How is the weather up there? Do you have time to go around or? Well. <laughs> yeah, well, riding has taken a new shape right now. So we're mostly, we're in the Netherlands right now. So we're just doing small rides around the country. It's a small country, so you can get far pretty easily. This weekend, for example, we went all the way to Amsterdam. And a curious fact, we didn't leave the bike lanes for 45 kilometers. I think it's the only country where you can actually do that. That's a really good point. I, I never right? thought about that. That's true. <laughs> yeah. We, I, uh, I say this when I, when we, when we stay with people in other countries and we talk about cycling around the world, Netherlands always comes up and it's actually one of the only countries I think where you can get to more places by bike than by car. So, you know, the amount of bike lanes here and recently as we started using uh commute to like plan rides, we've also found out that there's a lot of off-roading, a lot of gravel, even single track in this country. So that's on uh, on the schedule to try and discover my own country a little bit more. And yeah, seeing that Belen's from Spain, I mean, she just came back from Spain. Uh, she was doing a lot of riding around Valencia there. And that's pretty great too. Can't so, wait yeah, to, to we, go there. We manage, we manage. <laughs> that's great. It's super good because actually you were talking before about... Um, let's say, a new perspective of bikes that now you're doing only small rides or whatever. I can tell you that also for me, cycling in this period is getting a bit weird because the only riding that I've been doing now is indoor riding. And people, mm. 
I don't know, I try to force myself to go out, but for example, now it's snowing super hard, and actually yesterday it was minus seven, minus seven degrees or whatever. At a certain point, I believe it's too dangerous, but I'm suffering so much. I don't know, I spend really all my night on being nervous because I think, and actually that's what Marcia, my girlfriend, tells me all the time, because I really need to be out there and riding the bike, and this for now cannot happen really often. But at least, you know, at least moving the legs makes you also move in your brain, so it's good also doing it outside, inside, sorry, but outside, you know, lapsus all the time, but hopefully it's getting better. Uh, we can start again having longer rides around and it's super good on that. And uh, yeah, talking about also your planning with Komoot, I think that actually there, the community is super big, so you can really find super heat maps that are really, really hot to find new gravel rides. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we we just uh, were we're just working on a little plan to do a few longer rides here in the Netherlands, uh, but for now, uh, I mean, I'm, I'll be very happy if we can do three or four semi-long rides, at least more than fifty kilometers uh, per month, because we'll be here for sure until April before we can realistically plan longer rides again outside of the country. Uh, so until that time, we'll we'll have to fill it with small rides here and hopefully a little bit longer. Uh, there's coast to follow there's dunes forests uh, you know lots of urban places and uh, also a lot of natural places so uh, definitely the online community is helping us find uh, the best rides in the area and now that we're getting our bikes ready you know the year is getting up to speed uh, this is going to be a, a fun way to uh, to explore for the next couple of months absolutely in fact in fact just to say i'm really happy with with that aspect of this sort of after wave of the pandemic is we uh, we seem and we as in on a country level maybe even european level or maybe even worldwide level uh at least for the bike community it seems to have become a little bit more important now to connect with your home country and to explore it by bike mm -hmm. a lot of people weren't even considering that absolutely including myself for me netherlands was completely uninteresting but now that we have all been forced to stay home and uh, are lucky enough sometimes to be able to go and ride if there's no lockdowns, sounds absurd, but <laughs> that that's a really fantastic way to have found out that it's so special to to just be able to ride close to home, that there's so much to see. Yes, and um, that's actually also something that I'm trying to, to reach now. It has been some weeks that I've been asking also to my guests to talk about the backyard rides because you can really... If I can say something like a sentence that seems like already over-listened, but whatever, adventure starts from your main door. So you don't need really to fly, so of course, going in something exotic or in something unexplored. I read from your book where you were talking about Central Asia, you were talking about a lot of cool places north of Europe and everything. It's really cool. It's something that you would explore not so much, or you're going to explore even a lot just on the bike way better than other things and on the other side just going out and looking for some new roads and looking for some new landscapes and stuff in your backyard in your country is already super 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 good and this is a good time to discover it and then it's always good if somebody will come to visit you for example or somebody needs mm -hmm. a new ride to discover whatever to bring in something unexplored in your country in your region and that's also super cool right Totally, yeah. totally. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So guys, maybe we can start directly from here and yeah, tell me who you are. Why are we talking today? Actually, why are we talking today? First of all, because we are super interesting uh, people that are doing super interesting rides. And then going to tell you also a small anecdote also after you got an intro about yourself. But tell me who you are. Okay, so I'll start. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, Please. I, my name is Belen, and basically I am Spanish. I've been living in Spain until 2014, and I, well, I have a background as an architect. I started architecture in Valencia, and as soon as I finished studying, I decided to find a job outside of Spain, because, uh, yeah, the situation in Spain wasn't the greatest back, back at the moment. So my first job was in Amsterdam, and that is the first time that I kind of got in touch with the cycling concept. Because in Spain, believe it or not, even though it's a, a paradise for cyclists, you only do it if you're a racing cyclist in general. There's no concept of commuting. Just now, um, mountain biking is started, but it's mostly all Lycra teams uh, ganging up on the weekends on the, on, the, on the roads. So when I moved to Amsterdam and I was working as an architect, that's the first time that I started commuting my bike. And it was my favorite uh, moment of the day, basically. Yeah. And then I met Tristan in Amsterdam. And I think now he needs to catch up before we continue it. Together, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 my name is Tristan, and uh, I've I've told this story a lot of times. Now I'll try to find an original twist to it. Basically, when when it, when growing up in the Netherlands, uh, you grow up on two wheels or three sometimes, but you learn how to cycle from a very young age. Infrastructure is great here, so you're always commuting. The only thing that wasn't at least at my time when I started getting into bike travel that wasn't so popular was traveling by bike I think Dutch people were some of the people that were doing it most but for me it was something very unknown and so I had been introduced to the concept by um, a wild idea that I had I basically came straight out of high school did a couple of jobs didn't want to get into studying yet because of the way that the, the studying system worked at the time uh, I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And so I somehow decided to go to the U.S. and cycle from New York to Los Angeles. The cycling part of that was influenced by my brother because before I wanted to run. I wanted to, to uh, yeah, run across the U.S. And my brother said, well, you know, we're Dutch. Uh, we can do it together and I'll join you by bike and let's do it by bike. So he was he was the, the start of the, the cycling uh, concept for me. The concept of doing something big like that was really to kind of define uh, something for me, to to prove my own power to myself. And I ended up doing it. Uh, it was a great trip. I did it very rushed and came back sort of not realizing what I've done. Um, I was inspired by the travel side of, uh, of cycling. I did it uh, with a big backpack on, no packs on the bicycle, a very shitty bike, if I may say so. Uh, so I decided to upgrade a few things, uh, buy a secondhand bike here, um, put some uh, some bags on and just start going. And the big change was that I would take it slow and I would take a camera with me. And just at that point, I met Belen. Uh, her um, physical beauty <laughs> made me oh. almost made me almost <laughs> give up the whole thing. But she resisted. Fortunately, she resisted. And yeah, we uh, we got the chance to get to know each other for about a month. Photography yeah. was a common thing. Yep. 
-hmm. Instagram was really starting at the time. Yeah, Yeah. we were both into photography, but uh, I had my architecture ideas and then he had his touring ideas. So eventually (laughs) you went cycling, you started your European tour and I moved to London where I worked for two years, basically. I kept on working as an architect for two years. So as Tristan was cycling around Europe and he got closer to Spain, he reached out to me again to ask for advice on my own country, although my advice regarding cycling was non-existent. So <laughs> I think it was more of an excuse to connect again. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, eventually we started a long distance relationship for a year and a half while I was living up there. He kept on cycling around Europe and eventually I knew that I really wanted to take a year off work to travel and it was Tristan the one to convince me that I should do it on a bicycle. So, yeah, at the beginning, I always said it was going to be a gap year, but actually it's already been three years and a half. So It's still going. <laughs> I, th- I think I managed to convince you then. Yeah. Probably did. <laughs> Looking at actually what you are doing now, we are going to actually discover a couple of the projects that you have together, a couple of the, also the trip that you have done together. Seems like now you're convinced, Balan, 100%. <laughs> I think I'm convinced, yeah. <laughs> no, we're convincing other people, actually. <laughs> this is the most important part. Right, right, totally. Uh, the other thing that, that um, was important here in this story is that I decided to cycle Europe, um, my own continent. I wanted to discover it. I wanted to discover the people mostly. It was a slow-going trip, meeting lots of people through warm showers. And when Belen decided to join me, that was finished. I cycled from Netherlands to Spain to Italy to Norway, and I cycled uh, the UK as well. When she joined me, uh, initially we said, okay, well, should we go out of Europe? Because I've, I've already seen it. Belen didn't really want to cycle in Europe. She wanted to go on a big adventure. But I managed to uh, convince her on the idea of Norway. And so maybe there's a good entry into the, the Bike Life book because it, it's the first chapter. Norway, and you'll find in the book, we tell the same story, is the kind of the perfect country to start a bicycle touring experience if you've never done it because of a few key things that we'll get into later. But anyway, we um, we went there as the first trip because um, the far-off adventures were just, yeah, they were, they were too far off. We, we weren't ready for them yet. <laughs> okay, let's start from here because I really like to shuffle things and to feel them as the situation comes. Let's talk about Norway. So we know that actually, as I understood i'm gonna put the stuff together but i'm gonna mess up so feel free to correct me uh it seems like anyways uh for belen bicycle was not really into your life but actually it was just something i can relate with you completely because it's in italy it's the same or you are racing one of those grand fond or whatever and you're full of testosterone of bicycle doesn't work doesn't happen and exactly i started discovering cycling when i went out from italy as well because i didn't feel comp- i didn't fit mm-hmm. completely in this kind of philosophy i was a bit more in the party pacing and enjoying rides and talk with friends and social part so i can see the point but yeah it looks like at the beginning belen was not so much into bicycles but actually started getting a bit more and getting inspired by the philosophy for things that you can find in the netherlands while on the other side tristan was already completely full into cycling but not completely convinced and then at a certain point all the motivation came together for traveling and then also for together and whatever. And then at a certain point, starting some traveling as well. And then you end up in uh, Norway. 
Norway for me was always a dream because it seems like, I don't know, from what I see all around, and actually something that I know is that everybody who is doing uh, shootings, all the bicycle brands, whatever, that are doing shootings for winter, they're going to Norway in July because the weather is that one, but the landscape are amazing. You can find still, uh, yeah, amazing the amazing fjords and then Greenlands and stuff like this. Seems like an amazing place, but still I didn't go there. When I was with your book in my, let's say, close to my eyes, not in my hands because I have a digital copy, uh, but when I saw it, I thought, okay, we need to talk about it together because probably you are some of the few people that I can talk with about Norway. Tell me more about <laughs> Norway. I want to know everything about the nature itself, how are the outdoor out there, and also how is cycling there. Because as much as I can imagine, I don't know how many people are into cycling there and how are the cycling communities. I know a lot about the Sweden part, the Swedish part, but I don't know about the Norway part. Tell me more about that. Well, I think to to uh, look at the difference between Sweden and Norway. I don't know much about the Swedish part, but the Norwegian experience, in my opinion, this may have changed, but not many Norwegians actually cycle in their own country, even though the cycling infrastructure is actually amazing. And that's not to speak of bike lanes, because bike lanes, I don't think they're very necessary in the country, and it might be quite complicated to create them. Uh, it's more in the way that traffic works that people see you on your bicycle and that nature kind of offers you a place. Those three things are really important. And so to, to touch on those, uh, the way that people see you on your bike, because the country has such a, such a big outdoor community, outdoor feeling is that you're, you know, you're doing exactly the right thing and they, they really like to interact with you. Uh, Norwegians, most Norwegians are pretty shy people, but when they see you on a bike, they want to, they want to speak to you. And the, the way that they, um, they cope with you on the street is that when they're in a car, they'll wait behind you, they'll pass you, you know, one meter, two meters around you, uh, not in bends. So they're really respectful, uh, at least most of the time. And the way that nature offers you a home, it's in all of Scandinavia for your tent uh, because you have the right to, to wild camp, basically. I think it's called Alamans Red, like every man's right. Um, nature is from everyone and if you as long as you do it respectfully and clean up the place then you can camp uh, where you want so those things were really inviting about the country even though you know it has big mountains it's a lot of ups and downs that you have to cycle those points were i think the biggest attraction for for us to go cycle there yeah and the country is just beautiful i mean wherever you are whatever it's just kilometer after kilometer you're always in awe like amazed at how the the landscape changes and the weather changes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you have to be lucky with the weather. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, even if you go there in the summer, you have to expect cold and, and rain here. <laughs> Which is what we got. We we started in the north and, well, it wasn't the most optimal start for Berlin, just getting into the we, bike travel lifestyle. We started like the first days of June and it was snowing. Yeah. And I had never cycled <laughs> in my life. I had never like been snowed coming from Spain. So yeah, it was a rough beginning for me. We started in Tromsø, in the city of Tromsø. So it's already in the Arctic Circle, but still, I don't know, it was June. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we went to, to the islands. So we did stay on the coast. We didn't go inland. It would have been freezing there. We did stay on the coast uh, to Senja Island and to um, Lofoten Islands. 
So those were, I mean, you start with the, the crown jewel of, of Norway, basically, uh, going from north to south. And, um, well, as we cycled those islands, it, it was quite agreeable because most roads are flat. You have very few mountain passes. And I think you'll find that if you stay on the coast, it's probably the most rewarding of a trip you can have because uh, you can always go inland if you want. And on the coast, things are always changing from the islands up north uh, to the central part of the, the sort of Norwegian spine, uh, where you go from Buda to Trondheim, which is a Trondheim is a kind of student capital, more more or less capital city. Um, and then you'll go to Olesund, you'll get into the the real fjord scenery. From Olesund, you'll head down and you get into what you see on the pictures. Basically, you see the the, all the typical rocks and fjords and, you know, the places where the cruises happen and stuff like that. You have amazing, amazing switchback roads up crazy fjords and mountains. And, of course, beautiful architecture, too. It's really mm -hmm. complimentary. Uh -huh. And all this nature, I mean, it's they've really pulled it off. They're, they're a very, very good country for cycling. Definitely. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, how long does it, did it take, actually? How long have you been visiting Norway? We spent four months. Um, you, wow. Most most of the people we met cycling did it in two months. Yeah. Like from like from Oslo to Tromsø. I think, yeah, you, you can do the whole country in two months if you cycle. Like with, yeah, but, with a set, but... set amount of kilometers. The thing is that we went right and left into every single fjord up, every single pass down, like... So we took a lot, a lot of zigzagging in the end. Yeah, that's why it took us for months. And, and in fact, uh, that's the way that I would that I would do it. Yeah, and of course, you know, respecting everyone's time schedule. If you only have two weeks, try to do uh, a stretch of the coast. I would say between Trondheim and Bergen, more or less, uh, because that's the mo some of the most rewarding. Unless you go up north to the islands, depending on the weather. But if you have a bit more time if you can spare one two three months you absolutely have to take it slow because there's yeah. so much beautiful stuff to see and we would say that you absolutely have to stop to do some hikes because yes. really norway has to be seen from the water from the road but also from the top of the mountains we we did it quite a few times while we were on our tour and we just left our bikes with some Norwegians we met on the way we stored our bikes in the garage we other times just left the bikes just behind the randomly, shop or... yeah, <laughs> and we never had any problem. It's a super safe country, and uh, yeah. it gives us the opportunity of of going on some very cool hikes too. Yeah, it's it's also a country where strategically you need to you need to know a few things. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's already a good moment to get into the tips, but <laughs> Let's for go on that. for Norway, there's one thing. <laughs> for for Norway, there's one thing that's really important, and it's that you have to realize that there's a lot of tunnels, and tunnels aren't always meant for cyclists, because Norway, I mean, they make mountain passes, they also make tunnels, and the tunnels are, yeah, sometimes difficult. So there's a, a map online. I actually I, I haven't checked, but I, I'm pretty sure it's still there. It's on cycletourer.co.uk. And these guys, they've made uh, an interactive map that you can see all the tunnels on. So every tunnel in Norway is on that map automatically. Then it's color-coded for, uh, you know, if you can uh, legally pass it, if it's dangerous but legal, or if it's totally fine and easy. 
and you can actually, as a cyclist, offer information and even photos to that map, and they'll just review it and they'll add it to every single tunnel. So when we were there, we were actually putting in quite a lot of information for for these tunnels because as you cycle them, you know what they're like, and that's something that you really have to keep in mind for uh, for Norway. And maybe you want to tell about the Rasteplatsen as well. Oh yeah, another big tip and life saving thing in Norway is the Rasteplatsen, which is the resting areas. They're all around Europe in general, but the ones in Norway, they're just like five star hotels in the version <laughs> of a. A resting area. Five-star dirtbag hotels. Yeah, oh my god. They're, they always have usually like little, little, somewhat like a little hut, which are just toilets. But they, most of them have hot water. Most of them have um, like an air machine to dry your hands or to dry your clothes like we used to do. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, they have always like tables and flat grass and they're usually next to a waterfall. So those were our life-saving points yeah. whenever we need to freshen up a little bit in Norway. Yeah, and I think technically you can camp there. Of course, you know they they're overflown by tourists, so you always have to keep in mind if if you're disturbing or not. But in most cases, those are also a, a pretty safe place to pitch your tent if you're in need of a bit of infrastructure. Yeah, but the tourists are there July and August, so a cycle there any other time of the year, and it becomes super quiet because we we were there between June and September, and it was after th- the thirty first of August. Suddenly, it's as if like half of the country disappeared. Yeah. Okay. yeah, from the 1st okay. of September onwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but how did you find the weather then? Yeah, so 1st of June was snowing, and then you stayed there in the end of September. September is still okay to travel in Norway? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might still get some snow already up north, but it's totally fine. Actually, I think September is probably the best, the best month to be there. If you want to stay outside of high tourist season, then you still have pretty good weather the days are very long this yeah that's something we didn't mention <laughs> like we arrived there and it didn't become dark for the whole night and for the first one or two weeks we just couldn't sleep because yeah we were way too enthusiastic yeah we were very enthusiastic with the light and we went shooting at midnight so we were cycling during the day then went for a hike at 11 in the night came back at three in the morning and then tried to sleep but it was too bright and too hot by seven in the morning so we had to just wake up and keep on cycling yeah and we did that for a couple of weeks the sun just <laughs> fries your tent at seven so yeah you have to get going now <laughs> oh gosh yeah but that's the good part as well of being there north in summer you can really i don't know you don't have to be scared of darkness coming right it's always daylight yep. exactly. so it's amazing you can actually cycle only at night if you want. Like you could cycle yeah. from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. No problem. It'll be yeah. very quiet and peaceful. Yeah. And beautiful life. And and if you have a bit of money to spare, you know, every hotel is uh, set to to provide um, like blinds, really good blinds. So if you need a very good night's sleep or a day sleep, then you can just book a, a room somewhere, uh, possibly even in Airbnbs that they have this, and, and you can have a very solid sleep. If you're really in need of some darkness, but in general, the 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 sunshine is just fantastic during the summer. I would say in September, I think it's already getting dark. Then um, maybe a good opportunity to see northern lights on your trip. And yeah, the country is paradise. Yeah, I think any month fans. that you go outside of the winter, you're you're pretty pretty well off, whatever the the weather circumstance. And if it gets rainy, you know sometimes it rains for a week. You can try to keep on cycling. It does get difficult. We've met people that had a week of rain and they were pretty soaked. Uh, 
but um, yeah, I guess you you have to to get a bit lucky, and otherwise use the resting areas when you're uh, when you're stuck in the rain. <laughs> of course, of course. But actually, how much was the ratio usually for you? You actually camped most of the time, right? It was something like yep. camping. Yeah, we we stayed in hotels when we were in the cities mostly. Yep. So to be able to rest for one or two nights and to see a little bit of yeah of Trondheim of Buda of Bergen, Bergen, <laughs> Bergen, we uh, we stayed in hotels. There's a very nice chain. I don't know if this is relevant, but it's called Scandic. It's a Norwegian chain, and it's very cool because they fight to have the best uh, breakfast buffet in the country. The whole like yeah. they try they fight between themselves between like the Scandic in each city. <laughs> so yeah, if you ever need to load up on Norway in between like few weeks of cycling, then and you need a good breakfast. Yes. <laughs> That's where we stayed in the Scandic hotels. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Let's move. Let's stay in Europe. Uh, let's move a bit from the cold north. Let's go to the south. That's something that actually you wanted to talk. You were super enthusiastic. You told me that everybody you talk with about cycling, actually, they want you try to tell them and to push them to go and ride there. We're talking about Canary yes. Island. Let's talk about also yes. this trip. Tell me more about <laughs> that. When it happened and how it was. And give me also some tips. Just follow actually the same kind of uh, uh, program or whatever structure that you have also in your book. We're going to talk about that as well. But let's talk about Canary Island for now. <laughs> <laughs> so being from Spain, the Canary Islands uh, belong to Spain and I knew them already because it's a like summer destination for Spanish people. It's pretty common. And uh, I, I only knew two of the seven, although now there are officially eight islands. And I really wanted to go there also because we were really looking for a winter destination in Europe. Because, uh, you know, even if it's winter in mainland Spain, it is kind of cold. So the Canary Islands, they stay with great temperatures during the winter. So we said, okay, let's go there. But the condition is that if we go there, we only fly there. We don't have to fly in between the islands. So we checked and you can actually take a boat in between all of the eight islands, yep. which avoids you all this packing the bike and yeah, all these nightmares that transporting a bike brings. So this is how it started. We're like, okay, it's winter. Let's do, let's go to the Canary Islands. Let's stay there. Let's do something, a new project. And we called it seven weeks, uh, seven islands in seven weeks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and for me, uh, I had no idea what the Canary Islands were. There's direct flights from here to there. And there's a lot of Dutch people going there for holidays. I'd never considered them, but... Uh, honestly, having ridden them, I think it should be on the list of everyone, at least in Europe. Yeah, it's a fantastic. Just basically, it's all about the diversity of the natural landscape and the Spanish culture. That's that's what you get on every single island. It's like a new kind of nature, a new kind of weather, a new kind of scenery. Uh, usually, a bit similar people, even though every island has their own traditions. You get Spanish food. You know, pretty good prices, and the cycling is is actually uh, surprisingly good because, of course, it's an island; it's quite small. You can cycle it in a few days, uh, and this connection of the ferries in between every island is really sweet because it takes away the need for a plane, like Belen said, and um, it's also a good sort of mental break in between every island to just sit in a boat and look at the sea and try try to contemplate what you just rode. I think, in terms of island recommendation where one should go because we do get the question 
yeah. quite often of people say, oh, which island should I go it to? It depends what you want. Because the ones on the east, they are drier and they are flatter. The ones on the west, they're wetter and they're more. They, re- they require a lot of climbing. Yeah. We, after doing the seven islands, we must say that the seventh felt quite heavy on our knees because oh, once you're in the Canary Islands, you're mostly going up or down. So you won't be doing much of flat cycling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we, our favorite, we've always said that it's Lanzarote, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's on the cover of the book, actually. Yeah, the cover of Bike Life is Lanzarote. It, it's really, it's a volcanic island, there's dark red tones, it's super dry, but it's so beautiful, and the architecture is white, so there's always a lot of contrast, and uh, if you avoid main roads, which is very easy to do, and you just follow uh, the quieter roads or just gravel tracks, you can get an amazing experience, yeah. There is one tip we can get about the Canary Islands, although I don't think it's very easy to get, especially if you're not Spanish. And it's that you are allowed to legally camp in most of the places in the Canary Islands, but you need to ask for the permit in the city hall. If you get it, we got it for some of the islands, not for all. But if you get it, then you can camp at peace. Yeah. And it gives a lot of, yeah, like less stress basically into your tour. Yeah. So for the ones that we got it, we were able to put our, our tent late at night, take it early in the morning, and we have this permit with us. So... It was a really good experience, yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those places in Europe. It's it, generally camping is always a tricky thing, especially for example, Netherlands. It's almost impossible to do it wild, you know, because yeah, we always say that in the cycling community, most people do it really respectfully, and it should kind of be an exception, even though it's of course not on paper. Uh, but coming to islands like that, they're very. Um, that the nature is very, very highly protected, and it should be. And camping there, therefore, is a bit of a, it's a bit of a difficult subject to talk about. But this uh, is something that um, that is really important, and you should always try to get it, uh, just in case you really want to camp at peace. And you know, obviously, you should still take it or put it on uh, when it's dark, when it gets dark, and take it away before it gets light in the morning. That's the condition that you're cycling yeah. or walking. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. But you just need to go to the city hall and ask for the permission. So nothing else. You don't have to ask it t- days before. Yeah, I asked for the permit through email, and then I mm. went to this. We went to the city hall to pick it up. Yeah. Okay. To get it signed. Nevertheless, on the bigger islands like Tenerife and Gran Canaria, there is a camping service usually for free it's like a government designated areas mm-hmm. where you can just reserve a plot online for free and you go there and it's very basic you just have some some toilets some water some trash and there will be a guard just coming to check that everything is in order at the beginning of the night first thing in the morning yeah and that is also a possibility there's for example in, in Gran Canaria or in Tenerife you can find at least 10 of them so it's already a, a good uh, good option also for cyclists if you don't uh, manage to get this permit that i'm talking about yeah 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 and then um, once you're past all that yeah go ahead <laughs> i wanted to say once you're past all that it's time to to enjoy the islands <laughs> absolutely absolutely uh, talking about the islands themselves so you uh, i have a couple of questions actually they are just popping up into my mind one after the other you said that actually tenerife uh, was really good right and i actually know mm-hmm. by what i'm reading around and stuff that a lot of people a lot of cyclists one of those lycra warriors that you can find around they usually go to gran canaria because there is this huge volcano mountain 
Netherlands, blah, blah, blah. Everybody goes there, especially in January. Always Tenerife, because I think it's quieter, of course, but always actually hilly-wise or climb-wise. <laughs> they are a good bunch of climbs, right? They they go there to do Everesting, you know, the concept, right? So Absolutely. I, with, that, Perfect. with that, I think we're saying everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, um, it depends which road you take. So you can go up at 6% and you can go up at 25 also if you want. So there is options for everything. I think uh, La Palma is actually the steepest island yeah. in the world. Okay. And yeah, well, I think it's yeah, we can verify. La Palma, it. yeah, had a yeah to go to the top. It was mostly twenty percent, which yeah. on a loaded bicycle it's heavy. Ooh. So this is something that we also tell people that maybe it's not a bad idea if you're scared of climbing to just rent an e-bike when you're on the islands. If you really Absolutely. like the cycling, and yeah, it's it's per, it, it works very well. I think e-bikes and the Canary Islands are a good combination. Yeah, they're too. a good match for yeah. sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Talking about combinations, I know as well that also Canary Island, I mean, Lanzarote especially, they're really well known for surfing. Have you surfed already there? We have. I have never surfed. Never it's surfed that thing either. that I think that if we would do, we would actually enjoy it, but we haven't given the step yet. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. One of my cousins absolutely loves surfing. And yeah, yeah he would go there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, we we did uh, see the the beach. I think it's called Famara Beach. It's a really popular surfing location, and so, I mean, one day we will try. One day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we we know we know some cyclists that have uh, combined it: surfing and yep. um, and riding. Yeah. It's a bit of a logistical undertaking because you have to put your surfboard on a rack, and doing that in the Canary Islands, seeing the steep grades, is maybe even more challenging. But sure, you can rent a surfboard and, and combine it there. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also yes. hiking. We've met people there hiking the forest trails where you can't really get by bicycle. Um, definitely something that we missed out on and that we would love to come back for. Mm-hmm. So we would know for sure that one of the play, the destination that they're going to see you again is going to be Canary Island. Seems like from your voice, from your tales, yes. seems like it's something <laughs> oh, yeah. that you really like. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, really, um, really lovely place. Yes. So we heard stories and uh, also some tips for Canary Island. Let's move all to Asia because another amazing tale that I read on in your book, and it's something that is really close to my uh, to my heart as well because I've been there, I've been in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, is you were talking about the Central Asia. There is a full chapter about Kyrgyzstan, and there is also a full part about the Pamir Island. This was a place that I wanted to go there, but I wanted, I was actually in Kyrgyzstan just for the Silk Road Monte race, and then I had to come back. At that time, I had a nine-to-five job, so holidays, and I could not do it. But actually, I know you, and you have been there, and I want to know everything about it. How was it? <laughs> so uh, uh, first a question did you did you end up riding the the full silk road mountain race no i was there in the car i was in the media car i was just doing the podcast and there are a couple of ah, climbs there ah. that they need to see me back on the bike i will see if i can organize again to be there but i told already nelson if i'm gonna come again and if i can come again in the kyrgyz in kyrgyzstan to do the podcast for the silk road monte race this time i'm gonna bring my bike because yeah, 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 Kegeti really Pass, must. for example, is something that I would love to do. It was the first snow that we got. It was the first day. It's amazing. And like this, there are so many. I think if a Kyrgyz person would be listening along this podcast, they would now chime in and say, welcome to my country. Come yeah, to my country. Come to my house. Because <laughs> they, they 
are so welcoming the people there, and it's they not. really, really want to ha- to welcome more people to discover Kyrgyzstan. Uh, Tajikistan is the other one. Uh, there are very different countries, uh, really, to compare. We'll get into that. But Kyrgyzstan, um, to us, was the beginning of our Pamir Highway trip, and we hadn't really we hadn't really researched anything on Kyrgyzstan. So we kind of went into it as a blank slate and arrived uh, at the airport, put our bikes together, went to a hostel and stayed there for, for I think, two days. And we were convinced that we were going to follow the M41, which is the main highway through Kyrgyzstan, that eventually leads to the Pamir Highway, which starts, I think, officially in Osh, uh, starts or ends. You can go both ways. But Osh in the south of Kyrgyzstan is, uh, is that point. Uh, and then you go into further south of the country and go over the mountains into Tajikistan. I, I just want to say something. When we say the word highway in Central Asia, it's not what we understand as highway, I guess, oh, yeah. in North America. <laughs> Very important Europe. detail. Yeah. Highway there, uh, yeah, there is sometimes asphalt and then there's just... Uh, nothing. There's <laughs> very bad gravel. It's called a yes. Pamir Highway, but it is not what we understand for highway. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, for for us, then starting out, uh, uh, the 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 main focus was this uh, this Pamir Highway. That's what we came for. But if for the listeners that are already sitting on the tip of their chair and they are ready to book the ticket and go and cycle this Pamir Highway. Wait a second, because before that, you should really consider exploring Kyrgyzstan. It's totally worth it. It's I, I think it's a must. Um, and we'll talk about the way that we took the route later. It also has to do with Kyrgyzstan. But um, mm-hmm. when you're starting out there, it's a beautiful country to explore. And I'm sure you know from the Silk Road mountain race experience that... Uh, you know, behind every corner, there is a new majestic landscape, uh, very, very interesting culture. And yeah, one of those countries, I'm sure tourism will change it very much, but it's quite young in that aspect. And there's still so much integri- integrity and authenticity uh, that definitely now is the time to to go there by bike and just cycle around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, you were saying actually uh, how something like how many majestic landscapes you can see, how many high mountains you can see, how cool and how welcoming are people. Absolutely true. I was there. I didn't know what to expect. I was reading a bit, but I think that that's something that also probably can relate with you. Um, I flew to Bishkek, I remember. It was 14th of August, uh, 2019. I didn't know what to expect. You read a lot, you check, whatever, but really you fly, you arrive in Bishkek, is a normal metropolis, big city. Then you just take the first road, you go outside, and then you really see something that is unknown. It's something that if you don't come from there, you would never expect. Something like super wild, uh, I don't know, something like super wild places and fields, everything green, these huge mountains all around. You can. I remember that actually on that August, we went from the 34 degrees of Bishkek in 60 kilometers, maybe less, maybe 40 kilometers, we arrived to almost 4,000 meters of altitude and minus 10 in the afternoon. And still, all around, everything is super pristine, super amazing green colors, super amazing white colors. 
and people there. You can really find yourself in a field and in the big landscape with nothing, just a couple of yards, and all the people of any yard will actually invite you in to drink with them their tea and to eat with them their bread and to have long talks if you can talk with them in Russian. Otherwise, <laughs> explain in any other given way that you can have and nature can give you because anyways, you're going to understand yourself. And it's really, really, really amazing. So it was something like, for you, it was something unexpected as well. You didn't plan to go to Kyrgyzstan and stay there so long, right? Right. We, we yeah. just wanted to cycle the M41, get to the Palmer Highway as quickly as possible. It was a, a girl in the hostel who convinced us. She she declared us fools that we wanted to go on the highway uh, and uh, instead put us on this other route, kind of zigzagging the country. So glad we did. Well, you'll see it in the book. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's incredible, the, the natural scenery. The cycling experience is very raw. Uh, be, besides the, the pretty well-paved roads, uh, the main roads, I think it's the Chinese come there and they, they put a lot of really good asphalt uh, for trade routes. If you go off of those, it's gravel riding, super nice gravel, to be honest, very adventurous stuff. And you can find yourself alone, depending on where you go in the country, for multiple days on end. Uh, you have to be prepared. I would say that we came there with a bit of experience, but we didn't really know what we were in for and we made a few mistakes. Um, I think... For example, counting on a water filter for sure, even though it's you know kind of like Norway, you can pretty much fill it up in a river if you know sort of where the river comes from and judge uh, uh, by logic. But uh, things like filtering your water, taking enough food, realizing that infrastructure is very limited and you have to, you, you might be um, dependent on a little shop with just Snickers and candy. <laughs> those kind of things you have to keep in mind with Kyrgyzstan so true and of course you know this natural scenery is really pretty but it can also get really harsh and we had some experiences where we're just in the middle of nowhere in a hailstorm yeah. no tree to find any cover no nothing <laughs> you just have to embrace each other and stand and you know wait, Use for, your it to, <laughs> wait for it to be over so there are the, it's a, there are very raw sides to, to this country but definitely we Absolutely encourage everyone to explore Kyrgyzstan if you come for the Pamir Highway. And now you can do the Pamir Highway introduction. Oh, the Pamir Highway. Well, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, Pamir, the Pamir Highway uh, is a stretch of road between Osh, Kyrgyzstan, and Dushanbe in Tajikistan. It's about 1,200 kilometers. I, I think it's uh, officially Khorok, actually, in, in Tajikistan. Khorok. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I might be yeah, wrong. Yeah, no, no, that, yeah, but... you're you're right. 12, but it's twelve hundred kilometers, I believe. Right? Yes, or nine hundred, yeah, and then twelve hundred to Dushanbe. Well, yeah. the thing is that you go to Dushanbe because that's where the airport is. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> and uh, basically, it, the, the stretch of road it is part of the famous Silk Road, and it is way drier than what we experienced in Kyrgyzstan. It, the landscape changes completely, and it's much more quieter as in there are stretches and there's parts where it really you might see three vehicles a day maybe now in the future you'll be able to see more since tourists are starting to to pop up but um it's a really raw experience and you feel so small in general like massive mountains just like a, a high altitude desert and uh, the weather changes so quickly but it's it's really an amazing road there's a few people living up there in the summer 
in yep. the city of Murhab, and you cross a mountain pass of 4,665 meters. Wow. 55. 55, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Akbaita. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think oh, it's that, one of the highest cyclable mountain passes in the world, if, I, if I'm oh, not mistaken. Well, yeah. the, the Pamir Highway is the second highest road in the world, not pass. Like, the, the, in general, yeah. you're in the 4,000s for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. And what else? <laughs> I'm trying to think I'm overwhelmed so now by the postcard in my head. <laughs> well, I, I think to compare a little bit to Kyrgyzstan, yeah. the, the most of the Pamir Highway is in Tajikistan, right? And Belen mentioned it. There's a it's, it's a, a high desert, cold desert, basically. The scenery in, in Tajikistan is very different from the lush kind of Switzerland-ish uh, Kyrgyzstan. It's uh, barren. Uh, there is quite a lot to to explore. If you were to take your hiking boots, you can go onto a mountain, get lost, and die in the middle of nowhere if you wanted to. It's uh, <laughs> it's that raw, and you will meet that little people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, uh, as in, you know, just as a warning, watch out if you if you do go there because it's it's a challenge. And the Pamir Highway, even though it has a lot of popularity. Um, it's it's something that you have to be prepared for. You have to know what you're in for. Um, it's uh, it's one of those roads that is almost guaranteed to provide a kind of life-changing experience for pretty much everyone that has gone there. Also, everyone that has cycled it as part of a continued stretch, for example, from you know Amsterdam or Paris or Barcelona to to uh, Vietnam or to Hong Kong or to Japan, whatever, if they pass uh, that part of the world, most will go through the Pamir Highway because they they know or they've heard that it's the best stretch for almost everyone who's been there. And so, you know, the promise is high. The 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 the, the scenery is incredible. The people, just like in Kyrgyzstan, very welcoming. Uh, you have uh, many many challenges in uh, in front of you while cycling it, and I think. One of the important parts to to tell you about in terms of preparation is to not really look at the profile because we we I think we discovered that a lot of people look at the profile too much and focus too much on it online in preparation for the trip because most people end up going from Dushanbe to Osh, from west to east. We did it the other way around. There are some stories about winds, headwinds, I'm not sure if they're always true. Maybe we were lucky, but the the the, the profile goes from Dushanbe very gradually all the way until that super high Akbaital Pass in Tajikistan, then goes down along a couple of mountain passes. And of course, if you sum up, you know, 1,200 kilometers into a one profile sketch, yeah, okay, it goes up and then it goes way down at the end, and you don't want to do it the other way around. But we did that, and honestly, it's not too bad. Oh, well. You cycle a couple of mountain passes in a couple of days. So you're always kind of always climbing, but you have flat stretches in between. And then you get to enjoy a very gradual descent. So even if you have a headwind, mm -hmm. you're still going down. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, also together with the social experience, since so many cyclists are there in, in the season, um, from, I believe, June to September. August, more or yeah. less September, you will meet a lot of cyclists. 
text, which was for us one of the most amazing things there. Wow. Uh, I ended up making a video about it. Uh, we asked every cyclist, I think we met 100 cyclists in three weeks. Mm-hmm. And we asked every cyclist, you know, why are you cycling? Made a little video out of it. That's a very cool part of doing it the other way around from east to west. So we, uh, we're pro east to west on the Palmer Highway. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Doing it on the other way around. So you will enjoy a bit more the yes. company of other people that are coming in front of you. And that's amazing. Yes, yeah. for sure, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, uh, it's so, one of those places where you'll meet the whole world in terms of uh, cyclists. Of course. There's all yeah. nationalities. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of like the, the, the Camino Santiago, but the wild version. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's something a bit different of what you find in Kyrgyzstan, because in Kyrgyzstan, apart from the Silk Road mountain race, the race itself, you don't find so many cyclists. I remember that we found one family and probably another couple of just random people. But in the Pemi Island Highway, everybody is, is there. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah, and there's not many roads you can actually choose from, really. To If you really want to cross countries, then really there's only the Pamir. Like You can only follow the M41. Yeah, there's, there, there's there's a couple of detours for some parts. Yeah, yeah, you could take the uh, the Wakan Valley. It's oh, one of the most famous. So then you have the Bartang Valley. The, I think they're dependent on the season a little bit because the river sometimes the rivers flood and the parts of mm. the road become inaccessible. So you have to do proper research for those uh, detours. But yeah, you can you can diversify a little bit from the the original road. And whether you're starting or ending in Kyrgyzstan, it's just absolutely worth it to kind of add it to the trip if you have the time, for sure. Spend a bit of time there. Yeah, it makes sense. So we talked about Norway. We talked about Canary Island. We talked about Central Asia. Do you want to add a bonus one? You have the time now, and yeah, then we're going to yeah, talk yeah. about other things. I, just let me I know if we, we want extra, if we are talking too much. If we are talking too much and you have something to do, <laughs> just tell me and we are going to shorten the things. But I think that actually you deserve another just bonus country. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say that we, um, um, between Portugal and Dolomites, which yeah. one should we, should we choose? Not hoping to another continent? Well, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It's interesting times. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Interesting times. I'm not sure if right now is the time to do it. Uh, lots of challenges, but the US, the West Coast, was a big success for us, especially socially. Um, we the, the way it's described in the book and shown in the book, the route we took was a bit of an experiment because we, we went from south to north had a lot of headwind, predominantly they go south. And of course, you're on the inside of the road. Um, it's one of those countries which doesn't have a lot of bike infrastructure, depending on where you go, obviously, because it's so massive. But just speaking for our West Coast adventure, it was something that I think I could I could really recommend, uh, depending on what kind of cycling you're looking for. Um, they have, um, they have uh, hiker-biker campsites, it's one of those things that we've never seen anywhere else in the world. Uh, it's a very old concept, I think, already. And you just for $5 or $10, you can camp on these campsites. They'll always make room for you. There's always a patch to put your camp, uh, your tent, when you're cycling or hiking. So you get a, like a reduction in price, and that makes it very easy to connect campsites. So infrastructurally, if I can say that, it's quite well connected. And the nature, um, of course, on the coast is very special. They have a lot of national parks, very well-protected nature. The amount of 
respect that people had towards nature and kind of, you know, maintaining that distance from humanity towards the natural environment was very well guarded. Um, we would say, though, that if you were to go there, or let's say if we were to go back there, that we go inland a bit to go to the, the Sierras and the, the, uh, the mountain range. Uh, what's it called? The um, the divide, I think, where the the the, the great divide is uh, ridden. That mountain yes, the chain. Um, yeah. yeah, that that mountain ra- range. I think it's called the great divide. Then that's where, the route. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's the mountain range called? Well, it's <laughs> an amazing question because actually the route itself for the race is the Tour Divide. I'm sure of that, but actually I don't yeah. know the mountain range with one it is. So maybe it's the Great anyways. Divide. Yeah, well... Well, the thing is that we were there in the month of March, so we couldn't cycle in the mountains because of the amount of, of snow. We, oh, actually, right. we we were like, yeah, we're going to cycle in the mountains. And then we arrived and we realized that it, all and the passes were closed. Was, the pass was closed. So we're like, okay, we'll just stay on the coast. Yeah, yeah. so it was a, a slight improvisation. Um, but I would say that when we are going back there, we do slightly inland. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're planning a ride in the US, two things... I would say West Coast, plan a bit inland, try to catch a bit of coastline because it's very much worth it to see the scenery and also do it from north to south if you can uh, regarding the season. We started south because it was March and we had to go up. We didn't want to be in the cold. So that that was the reason. But we quickly found out because of the wind, it was very difficult to do. Uh, But there are some really, really pretty stretches and just nature that we haven't really seen anywhere else again very special kind of uh, national parks and yeah. uh, and scenery so. and we were very surprised by just americans in general they're so social they're so open and they really want to know all about you for example when we do groceries one of us will just go inside and the other ways outside generally Every single time, the person waiting outside would just be <laughs> approached by a few people asking, like, oh, who you are, where you're from, what you're doing. And many times also inviting us to their house. Like, oh, I have a sister that she takes a, a cyclist and other travelers. I'm going to call my sister. You should go visit her in the next town. So it happens a lot of times in the U.S., yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also warm showers. It's one of those, I think warm showers is originally from the U.S. It's packed with warm showers hosts. I know times are a little bit different at the time of this recording, but once warm shower people host start hosting again, it's something to go there for because the social experience is out of this world. We, I don't think we've had a more connected social experience for so long, for, for so many consecutive weeks uh, anywhere else. Yeah, the U.S. is really special for that. Mm-hmm. And of course, we only did West Coast. We can't say the entire U.S., but I'm pretty sure it's that way. No, uh, judging from my own trip when I went from New York to LA, because wherever I needed help, I was helped out. You know, people giving you food and drinks for free, and even supporting you with money. Uh, you know, lots of there, there's just a lot of. I think the word is animo. <laughs> but, yeah, like support. Yeah, but I, I, I would also say that if you're on the roads with cars, there's a lot of gang there meaning there's a lot of people hating cyclists that will just ah. throw you things off the window or tell you to get off the road yeah there, there's just a little, a little bit of that there, too. there is a great divide yeah <laughs> great divide, yeah. <laughs> again <laughs> perfect so i would say that we touched base some of the continents where you have ridden and we talked about 
cool places, great people and everything. I just want to actually compact the next two questions in one. Can you just describe for me your best experience or weird with Walmart experience that you have? And I think that actually here probably a dog. Sorry, I don't want to suggest you the answer. Uh, the best experience <laughs> that you got and actually also the most dangerous, scary experience thing that happened to you during your traveling around the world. So we have a, a typical most dangerous or, or well, worst it's, moment. It's a bit typical because it is the, like, it was the worst moment. Yeah. 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 But for especially for your podcast, we're gonna we're gonna tell you about something else. Yeah. Which I mean it's nothing bad. Huh? It's we we are very fortunate to not have been in a, for example a bad social situation. We know yeah. unfortunately plenty of people that have been, yeah. you know, uh, wrongly approached by by locals or woken up in the night by someone, something like that. We we've never had any bad people experiences no, every time it's gonna it's been nature related yeah. so mother nature okay. has been the big surprise for yeah. us usually yeah. okay and the typical moment that we we always share is that in norway our tent got flooded by a uh, tidal river we didn't know about Whoa. and we woke up at two in the night yeah. thinking we were on a waterbed so yeah it was a combination between Ooh. a lot of rain in the mountains and then the tide going up at night yeah. and we we were camping somewhere just fine where clearly other people had come before there was a little fire pit with stones and everything yep. looked fine but somehow we woke <laughs> up in the middle of the night floating on our, our on our air mattresses yeah and well, it was big panic Scary. and we lost a bit of our electronic gear yeah in the yep. water <laughs> yeah wow. so that's that's a moment we usually share it yeah. had a good ending we were helped out by uh, by a yeah. local people guy. Wow. insurances do help if you ever consider travel insurance things yes. can yes. happen <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> get a bad, a good insurance when you're doing something such an adventurous thing. You are not gonna need it, but if you need it, you have it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So then, uh, I mean, besides that, there was another, and I think it's more funny. Was it becoming, looking, looking like it, was, it was scary, but now it becomes funny. <laughs> it, it's one of those typical moments, you know. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this that have, that have camped uh, have uh, have experienced something alike because. When you're camping in the wild, you always experience something weird. There's just always something happening. At the moment that you settle down, you've cooked, you've eaten, you know, you've done your hygiene stuff, and you're snuggling into your into your uh, cozy sleeping bag and wishing each other good night. And then some something happens. So we we were in Norway once again, and um, okay. I think we were close to Forda. Just in case you might ever go there, watch out for um, farmers that uh, decide to go and mow their lawn at 11 in the night. Yeah. It happens. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we, we were camping in a field where the grass was like at least, like close to a meter, as in that hadn't been mowed in a very long time. So we're like, well, can we find Perfect. A hidden yeah. spot. Yeah. Nice. We made our little spot. We put the tent, watched a series, went, went, went to sleep, and then suddenly... <laughs> So, so basically, we heard this, you know, it just became became louder and louder. And I looked outside of the tent, like, what? What's this? And there's this uh, this tractor kind of going up to next to the field that we're on. And we're like, no, you're kidding. Okay, so he kind of goes into this little piece of street that uh, that uh, goes towards the field. He shuts off the tractor. For a moment, we think, okay, we're safe. This is fine. He's just parking it for tomorrow. And all of a sudden, there's this, 
these big the lights, lights going on yeah and the machine starts going you know this Towards big us. tractor mower yeah. goes into the field and starts cutting the lawn basically starts cutting the the, the grass so we're in a moment of panic we're, we're like okay we need to get out because maybe you know he doesn't see us and he mows straight over us so i'm there in my underwear in his spotlights waving we're like hey we're Stop. camping here and, <laughs> and he, he was so confused yeah, he was like yeah. what are you doing here yeah, yeah. like but sorry he, we, we thought this was yeah. just a field and he kept on mowing for like an hour but every time he was doing it in circles and every time that he was like on the circle he was getting very close to the tent as in yeah. we were scared that the strings from the tent would be like stuck into the tractor the guy line just goes in and then yeah. the whole tent is pulled into the <laughs> so machine he was passing all the time so close to us that but was yeah. a very tense moment yeah but so, I think we're we're lucky enough to be able to call that one of our tensest yeah. moments for sure yeah okay okay <laughs> that's nice. We, we had one other in, in the Dolomites. We were camping, uh, oh, yeah. and I think it was a a stag, I think it's called, the, 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 a male deer with the antlers. Uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, yeah. were okay, in the season of mating. Yeah. So, again, we settled down, and we were kind of ready to go to sleep, and all of a sudden we hear this, this kind of <laughs> super weird noise coming deep from within, and we're like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> oh, we're in this situation again. And they he kept going for like an hour, but yeah. fortunately he walked away. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, very typical stuff. Yeah, the strange thing happens when you're camping at night in nature, yeah. Right. I mean, I guess it, they just happen, but because we're usually indoors in our homes, we don't realize. Absolutely. I, I'd yeah, actually, yeah. I, I'd say one thing that didn't happen to us, but maybe it's a good tip, just to touch on Central Asia for a little bit. When you're in the Pamir Highway, when you're cycling Pamir Highway and you're along the um along the punch river from Khorok uh, or Dushanbe to uh, Kalekum. no Kalekum to to Khorok or the other way around you're on the river that is also a border to Afghanistan mm-hmm. so you know lovely people all around we've met some afghani people that were on on the tajik side and no judgment there but the army of tajikistan is pretty serious on at board on on guarding this uh, uh this board uh trafficking drug trafficking yeah so so when you're cycling on uh the tajik side of the river then you have to keep in mind that if you're camping you don't want to camp between the road and the river to afghanistan because the army might wake you up at you know 2 a.m in the night with a gun to your nose very friendly but you have to leave because they don't want you know to suspect you from from being in this drug trafficking or having anything to do with it if you want to be on the safe side camp on the uh, side of the road that's inland rather than towards the river we heard that from a few cyclists yeah Yeah, some of the many that we crossed yeah Yeah. they'd be broken up with a gun in their head yeah Yeah, Yeah, some for multiple nights actually three nights in a row (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. You don't want to find yourself in a situation. You you will never want actually to find a rifle or a gunshot completely pointed at your yeah. face. Yeah. And probably right. this person <laughs> is speaking a language that you don't understand straight away, at yeah. least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're doing it as a precaution, you know. Of course. Fine with tourists. They know that most likely you're a tourist, but still, yeah. it's probably pretty frightening to be yeah. woken up like that. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, yeah. that's the thing with camping, you know. If you're by car, you can just you know go in your seat and drive away but with a bike and camping you have to pack everything up it's just a big mess so yeah keep that in mind 
Tell me a nice, something like an anecdote of something special that happened then. So we can tell the puppy rescue story then. Yeah, we, yeah, should. we shouldn't spoil too much. You have, you, have to, you have to either watch the video on YouTube or read the book. Yeah. We, we, put a, we managed to put a chapter in on it. Okay, yeah. uh, just do that. Give me then a teaser. And then everybody who wants is going to go or on the video <laughs> well, or on the book. Give me a teaser. <laughs> the, the teaser is that one of the puppies is downstairs and now it's a two-year-old dog. So we know that okay. there was a happy ending. But we can say that when you're cycling in many countries, you're going to find a lot of stray animals. And uh, yeah. well, we saw many and generally we try to feed them, spend, spend some time with them or just you just let them be. But there, there was these two puppies. We crossed paths in Tajikistan and those we could not leave behind because they were in a very, very bad state. They were in a ditch. You'll see the photo in the book. Yeah. It looked horrific. So we share our story in the book and in the video to inspire other people who might ever maybe had to find themselves in the same situation. Yeah, or so, people looking to adopt. Yeah, so. also, yeah. Meaning that there is a way that you can also help if the chance happens. And yeah, yeah. in our case, it's our most favorite story because it had a successful ending. And yeah. now there's two beautiful dogs living in the Netherlands and being very loved by their families. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. So everybody just go on YouTube <laughs> and you will find there the story or even better to the Bike Life book. Shall we talk about it, actually? Because we have been talking Let's about all your travels and all the amazing adventure that you lived around the world, right? But you are not only doing that. And something that actually, I will try to put it not in a repetitive way, but something that inspired me to talk with you is your inspiring mission on putting people on the bike. And in order to do that, you actually use all these content creation sites, for example, talking with me or just producing your awesome videos or through your social media or through the book that I have here in front of me that is The Bike Life. Tell me more about it, how it came together, and which one is this mission, actually, that we have been talking about? Yeah, so I think over the years, we've been at this for, for quite a few now, it's been a more and more important thing to define why we make the things we make. Because explaining someone that you're making YouTube videos and you're putting things on Instagram and all sounds fine and dandy. But for us, the real mission behind all that is to inspire and teach people about traveling by bike and also make more people want to cycle, whether it's traveling or commuting, it doesn't really matter. Put more people on bicycles. And I feel like we're in a great time because it's generally accepted that that is a better way to do things on a lot of different aspects. Um, but yeah, because we we have been creating all this bike content for so long, it's also been kind of a logical transition to say, hey, this is our goal. This is why we're doing it. Putting people on bikes is one of the most important things for us nowadays. And any content that we can make that inspires that or that makes that possible um, is, uh, is, is a great way to serve the goal. So for example, the book our mission there was to make it look as appealing as possible and also include as much information as possible because what you usually get with coffee table books is, you know, they're pricey and they show a visual side of a journey and that's great, but it usually lacks this really critical detailed information. The, uh, the amount of text that you can put in on explaining how you do something or why you do it, 
that's really important and we didn't find that in many books so we decided we'll change that concept and we'll put in as much as we can uh, next to the photos so it's both visually and textually inspiring and and uh, thoughtful so that is one of the things if someone picks up the book wants to go and learn how to travel by bike they can do it through that the other is video we both have different concepts i document the rides in a bit of a more detailed way belen usually makes the overall experience and turns it into a very nice looking inspiring video that you know makes you want to jump off your chair and really go and then we also run our instagram accounts with uh, with lots of photography content um we might be able to share a little spoiler of something else that we've been up to due to the pandemic because it gave yes, us yes, gave us a yes, lot of yes, time yes yes yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you already got more than, more than a spoiler but well, <laughs> well we'll give this a, a very small spoiler for now we have been working on a new book for over a year or for almost a year now uh in collaboration with a lot of other cyclists that we were able to reach through the 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 pandemic happening because nobody was cycling so there was a lot of time uh, to do other things we're working on something that i think will change a lot within the cycling community and the um, our, our personal mission of getting people on bikes it will contribute a lot to that maybe you want to put in like a little a little just not not too much <laughs> yeah well, it is a coffee table book again and basically what we realize with bike life is that we give a big insight into what our personal experience of traveling but we understand that maybe there's many people out there who don't have our same situation people um, have kids or uh, pet animals or yeah, you know or not the same amount of financial circumstances a mortgage or, to pay or yeah so basically this new book that we're putting together is meant to give an answer or Basically, it won't allow anyone else to say, yeah. oh, I cannot do, I cannot go cycling because of, mm -mm. there'll be someone in the book that has probably a very similar, if not the same situation, who has done it. And yeah, with this, we, we just really want to inspire so many, much more, many more people to go out there and ride. And I say this also from someone who I, I never had a background in cycling and I don't consider myself any kind of pro cyclist. I'm actually very slow, <laughs> but I really enjoy it. I, I think I'm more of a traveler than a cyclist, but I have traveled by car, I've traveled by just walking and i really must say that this bicycle is the best way in in many things because of speed because of what it offers you connecting with people also the thing that you can actually put some power effort on it so it's healthy it saves healthy. you money in yeah. a lot of ways yeah it's yeah. cheap actually unless you go on the gear side and you go and splurge yeah. your money on nice bike <laughs> bags and yeah. an efficient gear that aside yeah so yeah we are releasing this book hopefully in the spring if everything goes well yeah and we'll be able to give more details then <laughs> yeah and maybe even a podcast just with you about this new <laughs> new and very exciting book ah <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah yeah we actually we seems like we have a deal here once everything is gonna be out i'm gonna get i'm gonna actually order my copy i'm gonna receive it at home i'm gonna have a glimpse on it and then we're gonna go through the things together please do it yes. i'm super super happy to have another conversation with you and present the and present the book because i'm already super super excited also i've been seeing how much actually 
how much attention on details you put in the bike life video. I really love the structure that it has. Awesome videos, so awesome photography, awesome details, awesome stories, and then a little section at the end of any story, any country, any trip that you have done with the tips. So all these attentional details, if I can see this projected on the new project that you have with all the stories and all the little details and all the tricks and tips that you can actually trigger around uh, for everybody to cycle, well, I'm already super excited to see how it's gonna come together. So please give me a shout whenever it's gonna be ready. I want to have a copy and I want to talk with you again. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. and actually to to give you a little more, I'll be um, I'm, I'm preparing an online shop on my website. We do sell signed copies. Just haven't figured out the concept on on the new book there, but there's a high chance that I'll be selling them as bundles. So one could buy bike life. And the new book, which I won't spoil the title yet. Okay, we will um, call it the as, new book. The new book as a <laughs> uh, book. as a bundle, and so because we we think they're quite different. What you were saying about bike life is very nice and very true. That we really went all in for the details, and the new book has more of a, I would say, introduction. So it's a great book to pull you over your doorstep. But if you actually need very practical advice, that's where Bike Life comes in. And it gives you a lot of the detailed stuff that you need to know, also about certain locations if you're planning to go there. So they're great to, to buy as a bundle and, you know, for sharing with your friends and family. That I'll be, uh, I'll be offering on the website uh, whenever Amazing. this new thing gets published. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, a complementary couple of books. If you if you need a tiny bit of a push to jump into the bike packing or whatever bike traveling words, yeah, read the new book, and yes. then once you need all the details <laughs> to start really traveling, get the bike life. I, exactly, I love it. Yeah. It's perfect. Yes, once you yeah. once you want to start living the bike life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. and I mean that that comes back just to round it up, full circle it uh, yeah. to that goal again, yeah, putting people on bikes. It will be an increasingly more important thing and, and serve, uh, you know, all the work that we put out and everything that we do. Uh, we will certainly keep on cycling. Uh, this pandemic is definitely not stopping us. We are looking forward to the time where we can do it safely again and hopefully a bit as what it was uh, with all the, the nice unexpected social encounters and all that. Uh, but we do plan to, uh, to, yeah, to keep riding and keep collecting uh, footage for an eventual next book uh, in a couple of years uh, just to keep on inspiring and feeding people the uh, the content and the tools that they need to travel by bike themselves so we now are planning a, a trip to the balkans mm -hmm. to greece turkey and maybe <coughs> even georgia if possible uh, we'd love to to see the uh, the dineric alps up close and um, yeah also greece turkey georgia all this culture we've never been there we, we're hearing great stories so that's definitely on our on our list. And also, you know, we've already talked about it a bit, but pandemic has taught us to explore close to home. And it will be a, also a big thing of, of this year uh, and possibly the next one to explore Netherlands, go to Spain. I mean, Spain for me, you know, coming as a Dutch guy, Spain was always this, oh yeah, you go for the for the beers and the palm trees and, the, you know, the partying on, on Ibiza. But uh, actually... It's bike heaven, my goodness. You have so many different landscapes. It's snowing there right now. In, in most parts of Spain, yeah. it's snowing. And, you know, we explored the north uh, last summer. We met um, Anna, remote Anna on Instagram. She's 
amazing uh, girl cycling uh, in uh, in Basque country and a lot of other places. She has a wonderful story. We met up, we cycled with her and a friend of hers, uh, Brett, for about uh, like a week and a half. Yeah, It was a wonderful tour and I can't wait to go back to Spain to keep it close to home uh, in, uh, yeah, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we were talking about trips and we actually also kicked off something like introduce also my next question that is riding around home. You know, actually, that I like to ask to all my guests if they have <laughs> a backyard ride for two different reasons. First of all, to get to inspire many of the people to just go out and start their own adventure outside of their main door, because yep. we all have awesome rides around home i consider myself super lucky i live in switzerland here really you just from my place i just need to go out for seven minutes and i'm up in the woods in an amazing forest so i'm super lucky but i know that all of us outside of the main door has also an adventure and also on the other side once everything is going to be soon open again i actually want to inspire more people to go and ride the backyard rides with all my guests also to understand better how are and how people feel when they ride in their own country or whatever. So I'm asking you guys, do you have a backyard ride that you want to share with me? Well, Absolutely. Yeah, but I'll say something. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I had never cycled in Spain before until the last September where I managed to take one of my bicycles to my, my parents' house and I went to visit them for a couple months. And it was the first time I was cycling from my childhood home. The first day, I just took the roads that I used to drive. And after that, I found like at least 10, 20 ways of doing like a 30 to 50 kilometer route without repeating and going between the orange trees and different plantations. So yeah, it gave me a massive insight because I thought like, I don't know, I thought my house was, my I don't know, my, my the place where I grew up was boring. And uh, the bicycle made me realize that it's not like that. And I was able to find all these small, small routes that I never even knew existed. So it was a lot of fun, yeah. And I left that bicycle there. So whenever I visit them again, I'll be able to ride. And then, yeah. Your backyard rides. <laughs> yeah, it'll be my Spanish backyard rides. And here in the Netherlands, yeah, we have other other options. Yes. Uh, I mean, where, where I grew up in North Holland, there are dunes and forests. We're quite lucky to have this very nice natural scenery here. Um, there is a, I think it's a quite a famous, it's difficult to pronounce, but in Dutch we say schorl. Uh, there is a parkour, mountain bike parkour, mm-hmm. um, and it's very popular, very beautiful. If you're not into mountain biking, that whole forest area is beautiful to explore too. Uh, there's lots of different people. You see electric bikes, you see racing bikes, you see city bikes, you see mountain bikes, recumbents, whatever. <laughs> Everyone goes there. And I would say that that's definitely my favorite uh, ride in my own country uh, right now. We will be exploring more, so maybe this will change. But yeah, coming back home and uh, cycling the dunes and the and the forest next to the coast, something very special. So that's definitely definitely my own right, for sure. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Just I'm going to ask you that in the near future, whatever, if you have a truck, to put it in Komuta, tag the Brunwagen Komuta account there, so we can for share sure. it also with everybody who is listening to us today. Mm-hmm. Well, people, I have 
one thing to ask you and one thing to say. I will start with the one thing to say. First of all, thanks a lot for being on this podcast with me today. I was super happy and now I think that I'm going to continue my evening Googling around and checking on my books and dreaming about new bicycle trips and stuff. It was super inspiring <laughs> and I hope that at least if people will catch up with 10% of inspiration that you are throwing around in the internet through this podcast and through your website, I think that halfway is done half job is done because a lot of people are gonna really follow the same philosophy that you have so thanks a lot for that the second thing is a question that i want to ask you and uh, the thing that i want to ask you is can you tell all of us how can we find your website your content and everything because me myself personally i already follow you probably everywhere but probably also <laughs> other people that not follow everywhere if you're going to the bathroom it's free no worries it's <laughs> not a problem um, but following i mean in the social in the social way um social media way but actually if somebody else wants to actually good, want to know when the new books is going to come which one are the next trips that you're going to do how beautiful are the pictures and the photos that you're taking let us tell us more you want to go first Yours is easier. Oh, yeah. okay. So I, I just use my full name, Tristan Bogard, B-O-G-A-A-R-D. And it's tristanbogard.com, uh, Tristan Bogard on Instagram, on YouTube, uh, wherever you want to find me, it's Tristan Bogard. And uh, for the book, for Bike Life, you can find it on your country's Amazon page. You can find it in the Netherlands, for example, on bold.com, your local web shop, your local Goodreads. bookshop. Goodreads has it. It's uh, in a lot of places. Right now, it's only available in English, but we can do a little first time sharing over here. And it's that for 2021, it's going to be translated to Italian and into Spanish. Yes. Wow, that's great. Also in Italian. I love we it. We don't know when yet. <laughs> we don't know where it's going to be sold, but it's going to be translated this year. Yes. Yeah. I got to get it in English. No worries, people. Yeah, but you, I'm super you, happy no, we encourage everyone to get it in English because it's the okay. language we wrote it in. Yes. Yeah, so that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. We don't know if the translation is going to be exactly as we ex want things to be expressed. So if you understand English, please get the English copy. Yes, yeah. I will do. If you want the original, yeah. the OG yeah. writing. The OG you, expressions you get, we use. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and so the, the new book will be available in the same, uh, in the same ways, on the same platforms. Yeah, and if you want to find me, um, I have also the name, same name on all my social media, which is Beltoscan, spelled B-E-L-L-E-T-O-S-C-A-N, Belle Toscan. And that's on YouTube, on Instagram, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're pretty selective when it comes to our social media, but <laughs> definitely, yeah. you, can find us, uh, you can find us there. Anyways, it's going to be everything down in the description below, but actually being not this one a video, but being a podcast, people like also to listen or where they can find things and probably they're going to Google it straight away. And that's awesome. Um, yes, I think that's everything for today. I want to say thank you again. I had something like another tons of questions that I wanted to ask you, but because we are going to know for sure that we're going to have another <laughs> talk soon when the cycle, when your other book is going to, when your new book is going to come. I will actually keep them for the next one. So we're going to have also another bunch of time to talk about. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. We yes. love that. And we, we, yes. we want to hear all about Switzerland next time from you. Absolutely. We're going to do the other way around. There. Yes. We're going to do the other way around. By the way, are you planning to come over to Switzerland to do a nice little trip? Anyways. Maybe. Actually, I mean, we would love to. Yeah. We, love to. We, we need to get to the Balkans through land. So maybe we'll do a stop in Switzerland yeah. the way. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. 
if you want to come over, I live in Zurich, north side of Zurich. You have actually a room that is actually the room where I'm recording that is here ready for you. If you're coming here, we can spend a couple of days also riding together and then you can continue to go to the Balkans. Is, and is everyone we spend a couple listening? of days riding. Is everyone listening to the podcast invited to that room then? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody awesome. to their own room. So, but I have a lot of people that are actually in Germany as well. Somebody's in the US. Probably if you're planning something longer, you're going to get a good bunch of rooms. Uh, even if uh, the warm <laughs> shower is going to be... We'll never get to the Balkan countries. So <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I probably have somebody there. Probably have somebody also there that is listening <laughs> to us, hopefully. <laughs> well, it would be great to meet you on the way. But yeah, yes. thanks thanks so much for having us on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's been a real pleasure. Fantastic no, it's to pleasure. talk. Yes, pleasure is all mine. As I was saying, now I'm going to continue dream about it for a long, long time. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, perfect, guys. Then I got from you a promise. We're going to talk again soon for now. Bye-bye. Thanks yes. a lot. Bye-bye. <laughs> so, Balam, Tristan, you are just great. I really can't wait dreaming about my next adventure. And I can't also stop dreaming about having in my hands your next book, but also The Bike Life, your first book. To all of you, all the information you need are going to be down into the description below. And remember as well that down in the description below, you are going to find the Komoot collection called Backyard Rides from Broomwagon Podcast. Remember, follow it and try to be as inspired as I am for any backyard ride of all my guests, because backyard riding is absolutely the thing that we need. We don't need to go all around the world to get inspired and to, I don't know, unlock our need of freedom. Also just a ride there in our backyard. It's really good for our, I would say, mental health in this period. And I'm super lucky anyways, because of my all riding around my backyard that is just amazing. But you know, you can, for sure be inspired by all the other routes and also start unlocking your uh, adventure spirit. Let's put it in this way. If you want to continue to unlock as well your adventure spirit, remember that if you don't have a Komoot account, you can get a region for free and then have all the things you need, like the things that I've said at the beginning of it, just by using the code BROOM. Just go on komu.com slash G, like Greenland, and write broom as a code. Down there in the description, you will also find the link, and by clicking it, it's going to be automatically insert the code that you need to unlock your free region. That said, also remember that you can support the broom wagon just by reviewing, uh, subscribing, uh, rating, whatever you can do in your podcast app. And remember also to follow me on the Instagram, Calamaro CC or Broomwagon Club. That's it. I will talk to you next week. Bye.